0: Thank you, Wayne. Uh, it's, it's a real joy to be here uh, with you guys. I have to say, this is one of those churches that everyone else in the country sort of knows about to some degree or other, if they're involved in ministry, uh, leadership. Um, everyone's got this... oh James and Wayne work together. How do they make that work? They're still hanging out together after all this time. That's like the first weird thing. And the second weird thing is this little church thing. Um, and, and everyone's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. So Wayne about it. He says, yeah, everyone thinks it's a great idea apart from the people who come here. <laughs> they just want to come and do this sort of gathering thing. Um, but actually, it's, it's a tremendous thing to be intentionally trying to be disciples who make disciples. And uh, Wayne, I've known for a number of years. We met, I think, at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, there was a big seminar going on, and we were hanging outside having coffee, um, shirking work uh, together, having a chat about a mutual mentor, uh, a guy called John Collins, who sadly died uh, last year. Um, um, James, I've just met, and crikey, I'd love this guy already. What a smile, hey? I mean, every minister should have a smile like that at the front of church. It just sort of warms your heart. And what a joy to see people queuing up to be prayed for, for healing. And What a joy to just have such a lovely extended time of worship and enjoying the Lord there. Thank you so much, uh, guys in the band. Uh, We're going to get into the scriptures um, because there's one verse that I want to open up to you from Luke chapter 10. Um, uh, Someone asked me at the back, uh, have you come to talk about Soma? And to be honest, uh, Wayne's one of my trustees at Soma, and I'm I'm just just really rubbish about talking about Soma because I see a group like this and I, I sort of want to preach um, so if I haven't mentioned SOMA at the end of the talk, then uh, please ask Wayne about it. It is a really wonderful thing, um, SOMA. We, uh, we're about connecting the church worldwide. These are some uh, archbishops uh, from South Sudan dancing there. Uh, Justin Arama on the left, and uh, Samuel uh, uh, Moses Deng in the middle there, and, and others. Uh, and it's a tremendous joy to be part of ministry with them. Uh, but... We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, uh, and I'll I'll use Soma to illustrate some of these things uh, as we go through. Uh, And I'll just give you the punchline at the beginning. Sometimes it's helpful to know where you're going, isn't it? Uh, And uh, this is the punchline. The disciples come back at the end of this chapter, and they say, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. And then here's the crunch verse, Luke 10, verse 20, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your name is registered in heaven. And that's where I want to take us today. So Father, I just pray that as we look at the scriptures, that you'll open them up to us and help us to understand what you meant by this. And apply them into our hearts so that we really can be changed and know that our names are registered in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a a very famous boat ride in church history. It's about 1735, the year 1735, and a a preacher, ordained preacher, goes to the Americas to go and minister, uh, he hopes, among the natives, but definitely in the colonies over in what will become the US of A. And he finds himself in a storm a school breaks up and there are some germans on the boat some moravian germans and they are a sort of christian sect and as the storm comes up he finds that he himself anglican clergyman that he is is in a panic and a sort of, I would use the phrase, tis was, I don't know if you have that phrase in Bristol, but a tis was about um, about whether he's going to survive the storm. And yet these Moravians are singing happily their sort of equivalent of Kambaya uh, from the 18th century. And he's like, what's different about them to me? And he's someone who's been intently passionate about his religion. He has been fervent. He's been so fervent in his religion. There have been times where he's made himself ill with fasting and with seeking God. Uh, Others around him have nearly died from the intensity. He was so intense that people uh, looked at the methods that he was using and called him a Methodist as an insult. His name was John Wesley. And as he uh, was on that boat, he was so struck by the difference between him and the Moravians that he got to to the States and then came back again, a failed missionary, an absolute failure of a missionary. He got chased away. Uh, Do do you know the story? He got chased away by the husband of a woman that he refused to give uh, communion to uh, when she came up for communion because he thought that she was an adulteress. (laughs) So he got chased out of America by this sort of irate husband. This is John Wesley, the famous John Wesley, And, um, and went back to the U.K., and then he got to, to London to a place called Aldersgate Street on May the 24th, 1738. And he heard people reading from Martin Luther, the reformer Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And as he was reading Luther talking about justification by faith, his heart was, his heart was strangely warmed and he knew that he, even he, had his name written in the book of life. He knew that he was saved. He'd been an Anglican clergyman for 13 years by that time. Who's been an Anglican ordained clergyman for 13 years so far? Have we got got two there? I've got one in the back row. You can't hide, Ron. You know, Uh, and, you know, it's amazing. You can be an Anglican ordained clergyman and not be assured of your salvation. Um, I don't know if maybe the two go hand in hand. I'm not sure. Anyway, did for Wesley. So here we are. Here's, Here's our passage. Uh, It's a famous passage, and it's where Jesus sends out 72 others. He sends them two by two to every town, uh, places you go. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Boom. Uh, And when you enter a house, say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will stay with them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move from house to house. And often when we look at a passage like this, we teach on something called the people of peace. Are you familiar with that phrase here, the people of peace? And it's basically that Jesus' mission strategy is quite nice. This might be relevant for your small churches. It's quite nice. You go and find people who like you, hang out with them, uh, eat their food, drink their drink, and use the gifts God's given you, and then look what happens when you use the gifts God's given you. Um, boom! I have to press the next one. There you are. Uh, why, does that, why does that? not work? Wayne, you might have to do this for me. It's it's uh, it's too complicated for me. Um, so w- when when you when you when you when you when you do these things for them, um, if you um, do not accept, do not hesitate to accept hospitality, those who work deserve their pay. And if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat what's ever set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is near you. I'll just pause there for a second because that's the bit that we use in the evangelism training strategy. <laughs> this is part one. Go with, with people like you. Uh, do use the gifts you've got and then tell them the kingdom of God is there. And transformation will happen. At the end of the stories you heard, they're going back. Even the demons submit to us, and that's what happens to them. Jesus gives them power to teach, power to heal, power to cast out demons, and it all happens. It all happens. The other day, I got back from the General Synod of the Church of England. Anyone heard of the General Synod? Uh, Sorry. Um, Anyway, I I was there as a chaplain. I wasn't voting, so I'm not responsible. Uh, And uh, but in my diary for the next day was a Zoom call with Pakistan. And I'd been approached by a, a random group in Pakistan as to whether we would do some, some teaching, some evangelism or teaching over Zoom to a church there. And it was just the most amazing antidote to this gathering of Anglicans who have been ordained for more than 13 years in London. And the... I got on this Zoom call, and there was this, this guy on a moped who was cycling along uh, to the middle of the countryside somewhere in Pakistan. And we, we, eventually he gets there, and he sets up, he sets up his, uh, his laptop, and, um, and uh, so I can see this gathering of about 60, 60 people, children, uh, sitting on the floor, the dusty floor, parents, others, all sitting there. Uh, and he says, right, now you're preaching. So I sort of preach into the camera from my living room. And they translate, uh, presumably, something similar to whatever I said in English. I've no idea. Uh, it's nerdy. An uh, and anyway, at the, at the end of it, they say, now, people would like you to pray for them. And so the people come up to the camera, and I sort of pray for them, like uh, James has been doing there. Um, and at the, at the end of this, um, I was like, oh, thank you. That's nice. Sort of 20 minutes of my time gone. Um, I, I get this lovely message from him that I, I'll just try and pull up on the screen uh, here for you now. Um, I won't tell you their names or any such things, but um, uh, this, this is the message. I want to tell you the report of our meeting at the Brick Kiln. After travel 60KM, we have reached the place of Brick Kiln, and then we worship there, sing songs, and we have also really blessings with peoples there who we sing songs there of Jesus Christ. Many people are healed by their disease, and there were 40 to 50 people present at tomorrow's meeting. Five people got salvation. Glory to our God. There is a small boy. He had fever from one week. After you pray, he got healing from the fever. And there is a woman. Her name is... I'll, I'll leave that one blank. She had a liver problem. She had pain in her liver. After you pray, she got healed from pain. Fifteen people got healed from their disease. Praise the Lord. Brother there, people ask me, when you preach again, we're thankful to God. He is using us in Pakistan, and God is doing something big, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I say, oh, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> So I put that on a Facebook group of Anglican clergymen who are a bit annoyed by the General Synod, and it sort of cheered us up for a few minutes. It was, It's was, it was kind of lovely. But the point of Jesus' passage here is he says, use the gifts I've given you, and it will work, and then just make sure you give the credit to Jesus. And, I, and so the, the way the training goes, and you might have heard this training before, is whatever gifts God's given you, maybe you've got a gift in accountancy, in teaching, in music, Maybe you've got a gift in praying for healing. Maybe you've got a a gift in deliverance ministry. Use that and then just make sure that you don't forget the final punchline. Uh, The final punchline being the kingdom of God is near you. Um, The kingdom of God, because then God gets the credit for it, doesn't he? So if you run a lovely uh, outreach cafe for refugees or you uh, do something wonderful in your business or in your school and everyone goes, oh, you're a really wonderful person, the only person who gets credit for you is. It's you, isn't it? But if you remember the punchline, the kingdom of God is near you, then Jesus can get the credit for it. And then they might come to know uh, Jesus himself, which is the, really the, sort of the whole point of going on our mission with him. But what, what struck me then uh, is that the verse carries on. Um, and this is the sort of bit of Jesus that we don't often talk about, isn't it? This is what we edit out in the Church of England. Uh, verse 10. But when you enter a house and you're not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And woe to you, Chorazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, famous towns from the Old Testament, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades or go to the dead. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. And then we have this bit. They return with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he says, I saw Satan fool like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that your spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So the the irony of coming as someone from a sort of mission agency, from SOMA, sharing of ministry abroad, is that really I'm probably supposed to do evangelism one-on-one and say, please come on mission trips with us. But the thing that I think God really wanted to underline for you guys today is this, do you know, do you rejoice that your name is written in the book of life? Do, Do you rejoice in it? Are you like John Wesley after had been at Aldersgate Street in 1738 or are you more like John Wesley on the boat going <laughs> I'm scared and f- fear of death is is I suppose in one level an incredibly natural thing for us in the natural isn't it the sense that oh crikey what happens next Some of you will be dealing with death at the moment, and we're not very good about talking about it in our culture, are we? We're pretty rubbish at talking about death. Actually, we sort of push death away from us. Even when we were faced with COVID as a nation, our sort of national church leaders didn't really talk about death very much in in the agenda. It was all about how we could comply with regulations and keep everyone as safe as possible. In fact, the the sort of elephant in the room was that we were all faced and staring death down the throne. And it it can be a really scary thing, death, can't it? I remember being here in Bristol 25 years ago with uh, someone from my extended family. And we were driving to see Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Anyone anyone watch that that film? Do you remember when that came out? It was a huge stare, wasn't it? And he was telling me as we drove along that he, he was really scared of death he would grown up in a Christian home, but he would never had that sort of sense of assurance that his name was written in the book of life, and he was scared of death. I remember talking to him and talking about the passion of Christ and saying, does this, does this help you? Can you see what he did for you to conquer death? But it's still got a deep-seated grip on him. I'm not, it's not, I'm not talking about fear of dying, because dying can be just a miserable, horrible thing, and no one really wants to go through the pain and agony of dying. But Death itself, that sort of finality. And I suppose what I'm here to say is the Christian legacy is that you don't have to be scared of death. You can instead rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. But it's a big deal. Because Jesus in these middle verses is saying, you know, there are consequences of rejecting the message of Jesus as consequences of rejecting Jesus himself and consequences of rejecting the one who sent him, God. And it all sort of hinges on what we do with what we call the gospel, the good news, which is actually only really good news for us once we get it and receive it. Up till then, it's, it's, right, quite, it's quite in your face. It's quite difficult to deal with. If you wanted to invent a religion to draw more people in, you wouldn't invent Christianity Because it backs you into a corner, as John Collins used to say, and leaves you with a choice to make. Am I going to be someone who has my name written in the book of life? Or am I going to be someone who can play Frank Sinatra, I did it my way? Or Bon Jovi, it's my life. (laughs) And if you're too young to know either of those (laughs) people, I'm sorry, I haven't got a cultural reference for you. (laughs) But you know what I mean, yeah? As Jesus is getting these guys and he's saying, look, for all the gifts that you've got, I mean, imagine that experience of having the power over demons so that they flee for the first time. You've experienced that power. Experience the power to heal. Remember what those disciples were like when they came back from that? I I flicked on The Chosen this morning. Have you been watching The Chosen series? the, The picture was on your screen. And Chosen series three has the disciples coming back from this encounter. And they're like this dysfunctional bunch of muppets, absolute idiots, and they're they're like infighting together. And the thing that Jesus, you're sort of waiting for him to come and say is, don't rejoice that you were able to do these things. Rejoice that your name was written in the book of life. And yet it's sort of the way, it takes ages to get to that point in the series. But you sort of see the contrast because of that, there's dysfunctionality. These people who got used to a little bit of power and then Jesus sort of coming along. You're like, oh, yeah, he's all they needed. He's all they needed. And so I was, I was preparing this talk and um, thinking, oh, okay, this is what I need to speak about. And uh, then we got a phone call yesterday from my, uh, a close relative in our family saying, uh, can, can he speak to his sister, my wife? And um, they had some, some awful news from the family. Someone close had a cardiac arrest and is in a coma in hospital and might not get through. And um, suddenly we're sort of facing death straight up as a family. And... Um, and this is in a year where someone else is going through chemotherapy, a young member of the family. Um, and they, you know, that's, that's a sort of hereditary one, so it's going to affect whole strings of us. Um, and I spoke to my little 12-year-old about it. said, you know, how are you feeling? And he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's got into his phone in a big way. Anyone got a 12-year-old in their family? Uh, My 12-year-old's got into his phone in a big way, and he's discovered the world of TikTok. And um, he's all sorts of stuff on TikTok. Uh, Cooking programs. He starts cooking the most weird things from TikTok. Um, And he's also found some people talking about the book of Revelation. So he was telling me about the four angels buried beneath the Euphrates River who are going to rise up. (laughs) It's like, oh, crikey. Um, But then, then then I was like, you know, how are you feeling? He's like, actually, you know, death... It's sad, isn't it? Uh, but actually, this life is really short, and eternity is really long, <laughs> and we'll be separate from them for a little while, but then we'll be with them forever. So the way it's sad for now, it's actually going to be fine forever. And uh, I was like, well, wow, Ben, where'd you get that from? TikTok. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my goodness me, but isn't that profound? Out of the mouths of not quite a babe, um, but, you know, a 12-year-old, comes profound truth. And he's got this beautiful faith. And I know that if that lad was facing death to himself, he would go, yeah, no, my name's written in the book of life. He wouldn't use those words, but that sentiment. And he could say the same about his family member who's facing difficulty as well. And I think, so this is, this is the simplicity of this whole message, really. I just think there's maybe one, two, three, four people here who just really need to know that they don't have to be gripped by a, a spirit of fear of death. You don't have to be gripped by any fear of death. Let me say it again. You don't have to be gripped by a fear of death. You can instead rejoice that your name is written in a book of life and be utterly free, utterly free forever. It is the Christian legacy, it's the gift of Jesus above all else. So praise the name, Oh, praise the name. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Oh, praise the name. That is our gift, that is our new birthright, our new birthright, that we don't have to be scared of death. Where, oh death, is your sting? It's swallowed up in victory as he rises again. So we too are risen with him. And if we put ourselves in his hands, if we allow ourselves to die in baptism and come up again from those waters, we rise and our eternal life has already started. I'm already walking out my eternity now. Are you? Because he lives. My name is is written in a book of life, and I'm okay. I know I'm okay forever. Now, there's other stuff in this. There's consequences. There's a whole world that needs to understand this and hear this glorious salvation. There are thousands upon millions of people in our country who don't know this yet, and so that compels us. Christ's love compels us to go. But for now, I just want to know for you, for you, do you know that your name is written in the book of life? and you're there for okay forever. I, mean, I was talking to a, a vicar not long ago, and he was saying to me that you know, some of the people that he knows who are really converted in, in his church got converted like nearly 50 or 60 years ago when there was a sort of real clarity about what the gospel was presented. And there was a real sense of there's a choice here. Either you're in or you're not in. John Wesley also said about hell incidentally, he said that what sort of God would it be if he allows passages like this to be written just as a scarecrow to try and scare his children into obedience? He says if there's no hell, then the Bible doesn't deserve to be believed at all. doesn't mean it has to necessarily last forever and ever. But there is a judgment to come. There's a consequence to come. Where do you stand today? What do you know today? And if you've really got that sense of, yes, my name is written in the book of life, could the joy of that come simmering up to the surface again now? Do you remember when you first realized that? Do you? Do you remember? I was in Romania on a short-term mission. I got 1,500 miles away from my parents age 17 with a church group and I got convicted of sin and once I got convicted of sin I poured my eyes out I couldn't say anything my next prayer was God please give me some words because I couldn't speak when someone said what's wrong with you and I said I just told my whole story and I was filled with peace and joy and a sense of knowledge of where I was going I'd grown up knowing the whole story. I was on church camp in Romania, for goodness sake. But I was thoroughly converted then. And it was beautiful. i got it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come into land just here. But just there was one little story that struck me. I found it at my uh, family home nearby. It was uh, someone wrote a little story of uh, a thing that I, I got to be involved in, in, in Wolverhampton a number of years ago. And it's this little story of Hannah, who saw a group of people who would just go and uh, do their version of Little Church in Starbucks every morning. They'd meet there for morning prayer. And Hannah, aged 23, became part of that church. And she says this, through going to Vitalize, I was able to grow in faith. Vitalize provided a stronghold for me, a people who welcome and do not judge, who accept and care, a place to feel safe and to completely escape into God's love and presence at the end of every kind of week, but also to start off every week. I consider Vitalize a family where I'm always welcome, no matter what sins I have, what problems I'm going through, or if I'm feeling like the most blessed person in the world. They're there to support and simply be a part of everyone's life, mirroring the Father. I've got a lot to thank Vitalize for, and I thank God every day that they are coffee drinkers. (laughs) Their little church was in Starbucks because they like coffee. They just happened to do morning prayer there, and she happened to overhear them. (laughs) And now she knows that her name is written in the book of life. Uh, Let's uh, let's stand together, shall we, as we we just do our our little ministry time, which is just really that time where we're saying to God, someone's been trying to speak for a while, and it would be much better if you underlined what you wanted us to take home than just whatever's going on in me right now. So that's what we do in ministry time. I'm going to say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Please be close to us now. Just move among us now. Just bless us now. In particular, I just command in Jesus' name any spirit of death or fear of death to leave here in Jesus' name. Get out of here in Jesus' name. You're not welcome. Be gone in Jesus' name. And into that place of freedom, Lord, I pray that you now bring faith. And trust that we are really saved. We are really saved. And our names are written in the book of life. And pray also, Lord, that you just release joy in this room now as well. This incredible, death-defying joy. That really... You've done something more amazing than any healing, any miracle could be when you saved us. And I thank you that around the world today, there are countless millions of people worshipping you in all sorts of places from muddy floors to African plains to the Eskimos. They're worshipping you for the same reason, that you've saved them. And just release a great joy in this church, I pray now, in your wonderful name, Lord. Amen. Amen.